And the analogy I often use is like racing. Horse showing is actually a whole lot like horse racing. Sometimes one horse comes across the finish line so far ahead of all the rest that everybody can tell who the winner is. It's clear. Sometimes six or eight will come across the finish line all at the same time, and they get a photograph to go figure out who the winner is. In horse showing, we don't get that photograph. So you'll see a variation in the placings in a multiple judge event. In a majority of the time, that's due to the level of positive and negative attributes that each one of those competitors has that day on that performance. on the rail at a jog please on the rail at a jog welcome back everyone to another episode of on the rail podcast we do have a previous guest on again for this one but we're super excited to talk about something that has recently come about and i know a lot of people are interested in our judges and what they're looking for and any updates as we all, you know, want to be prepared for the pen. So without further ado, I'll let Dave introduce himself again. And then Sandy, you can join in, but just give us a rundown again of your personal involvement with the horses and then what your current role is currently with the association. Sure. I'm Dave Dellen. I'm the senior director of judges, shows and education for the American Paint Horse Association, and super excited to be back with you guys. Really enjoyed our our last conversation. Happy to be hanging out today with Sandy J. Alrighty, Sandy, you want to give us a little bit about your background, what you currently do, which I know is a lot of different things. I do wear a lot of different hats. My name is Sandy Jakowski. I live in Whitesboro, Texas. I'm currently on the board of directors for the American Paint Horse Association, and carded with several different horse associations have been judging for a long time, longer than I wish to say even, but it's one of my passions. Parted with AQHA and APHA and RCHA and NRHA and NSBA. So I spend a lot of time on the road judging and it's just an honor to be here with you all today. Thank you both. And so the topic of this is going to be the International Equine Judges Seminar, which took place about a month ago as we're recording this podcast. But before we kind of dive into that, I know the Color Breed Council is the host of this seminar. So you want to tell us a little bit about what the Color Breed Council is and its main purpose and who actually participates in that? Yeah, so the Color Breed Council is a group of basically all the color breeds plus NSBA, they're involved as well, but it's everyone from Paint, Pinto, Appaloosa, Palomino, Buckskin Organizations, POAs are there, the Miniature Horse Association is there, NSBA also is there, and it basically is a a time for everyone to be able to come together and have judge education is really what that whole thing is, is surrounding itself with is being able to come together and work together as a as a group for judge education. Sandy, do you want to tell us a little bit about what the International Equine Judges Seminar is and who it's specifically geared for? It is geared for the color breed judges so they can come and fulfill their requirements, which is usually every three years to every two years. 
fulfill the requirements for various cards. If they have their paint, Palomino Appaloosa card, and get accredited for all of their cards. So it kind of is a one shop all for the color breed judges. And it keeps them current on all the rules and all the new rules. It keeps them current on penalties when we teach there. So we teach to an educated crowd. We don't just feed them the rule book or anything, but talk about real life things that can happen. The higher end of judging is what we really concentrate on. I was just going to ask, did you two specifically have a certain role in regards to this? Yeah, so I'm a representative for APHA. So each association has representatives that sit on the Color Breed Council itself. And then my main job there, so to speak, is to organize the speakers and kind of get all that stuff organized as well as be able to help them prepare, get their video footage together, outline what we're going to talk about and guide the direction of the entire seminar as a whole. Sandy, what about you? I have taught there probably more years than the average bear. I have taught everything from showmanship trail, Western riding. This year, my focus was on the ranch classes, reining. I taught that with Shelly Magali. And then I did the horsemanship, the showmanship, and the hunt seat act with my sister-in-law, Patty Campbell. And I think we had about 100 and some judges there. And it was, you know, you learn so much from their questions also. It's, it is really beneficial to everybody. When did the Colorbird Council start hosting this seminar for the judges? Do you know how long it's been running now? Well, that's a great question. It really was developed probably close to 30 years ago, give oh, or wow. take. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, somewhere around 30 years. Daryl Bilkey and Joe Grissom were instrumental in kind of getting that thing organized and off the ground and get everyone working together. I've been involved with it heavily for the last 10 years. And then I spoke there several times as an instructor previous to the last 10 years. But yeah, I bet it's been 30 years. This year we had Kelly Wainscott did our halter uh, seminar. She was excellent. Lisa Ligon and let's see, she did what the trail and the in-hand trail and she did the hunter over fences with my sister-in-law, Patty Campbell. So it was a really good panel. Yep. Bill Caven and Lisa also did uh, trail, in-hand trail and lunge line the last day of the seminar. Do you cover every event every year? So we pick and choose. We try to cover the things that judges are going to see the most and or things that are going to be new such as the ranch classes are still new in a sense. They're not, you know, in their infancy by any means, but it's still something that there's a lot of questions on. There's a lot of, you know, both from the exhibitors and and from the judging perspective. And as we all know, the rule book is two-dimensional, right? It's black and white. It is what it is. There's all kinds of things that happen at a horse show that are outside the scope of the rule book. So we really try to focus on, both here's the fundamentals, here's the overall thought process, but then really dive into what I consider the meat of the judging, which is where do you come up with your maneuver scoring? What makes a plus one and a half maneuver or what makes a plus three in the showmanship, horsemanship, and egg? what makes that excellent versus something that's just a plus one good or, you know, very good. So there's a lot of those kind of pieces and parts that we really try to dive into with this as well as trying to be able to spend enough time covering enough classes that the judges really feel like they get their money's worth for being there. Are the rail classes covered 
So it depends on the year. So every three-year rotation that we do with the Color Breed Council, you cover all the judges. So not quite a third came this year, but then the other two-thirds came the last couple of years. So we start a new rotation, I guess it'd be in 24. So this was our middle year of a three-year rotation. Basically, for round numbers, just think of it as a third of the color breed judges come each year. So once you get through three years, you've now covered everybody and we come up with a whole new list of classes. So the rail classes have been covered in great depth, which Hunter Under Saddle was covered this year. But pleasure has been covered numerous times in the past. And for this last three-year rotation, we did not cover it. But I'm sure it'll be on the next three-year rotation after this one gets done, just because we've taken a three-year hiatus. So you said there was about 100 judges at this seminar. So roughly speaking, if you had a third, there's about 300 color breed judges out there? Closer to 400. This was a little bit of a smaller year, and some of that is still due to COVID. It's one of those things that color breed judges have two opportunities to recertify. So most of them will recertify at the CBC. Then the APHA judges also can recertify at the AQHA seminar if they hold an AQHA card. And then I believe Palomino and Appaloosa have a similar process as well to where if they hold an AQHA card, then they can recertify there as well. So there's probably closer to four to 500 altogether when you add them all up. Yeah, I think we had 200 there last year, Dave. I think it was a, like double last year, but it was not a COVID. It was the year everybody had to come. Right. To make up because we took 21 off. So COVID really hit in March of 2020, which this always happens the last weekend of January. So we made it through 2020 color breed, but then we took 21 off and no one came in 21. So we were making up some and it's kind of got our schedule a little bit off, but that's the main gist of it. So the recertification is, for lack of a better word, kind of like continuing education for judges and you're required to do so much of this before you get research. And is that universal across all breeds, like even AQHA has? Yes. It is. It just comes in different forms. So for APHA, I can speak to APHA. We recertify two ways for APHA judges. They do an annual recertification on Horse IQ online where they don't have to travel. And that is really geared each year towards whatever rule changes are happening for the for the upcoming year. That comes out in January to February of every year. Then once every three years, APHA judges have to do a live in-person recertification and be there for two or three days. We cover all these classes. We have great conversation. And then we, ha- we break out into breed-specific small groups. And when we break out for APHA judges, they actually take a recertification exam that is a pass or fail kind of exam once every three years. And it consists of a closed rule book test that they have to be able to know the penalty points mainly is what's on that. But they have to know penalty points on on, uh, predetermined classes and then also judge two video classes. And then they have to pass that with a certain level. And then they are able to maintain their card from that. Other breeds do it different ways. Everybody's got their own little spin, but everybody requires them to at least come and have continuing education once every three years. And Sandy, since you're carded in multiple you know, different associations, what's the recertification process like, like for you to keep all your cards current? 
NRHA is every two years and our CHA is every three years. So there's a lot of expense involved in uh, keeping up your cards. But I think the judges are really responsible for making sure that they're up to date on all their penalties, all their rules. Our exhibitors are spending a lot of money, a lot of time, and our judges need to give them the best bet that they can and be up to date on everything. So I think Color Breed has really helped our Color Breed associations for those exhibitors to get better score sheets, better judging. I think all in all, everything has improved tremendously over the last 10 years. Is there much talk about implementation of different rule changes for associations at the conference there or is that left to individual associations? It's more done in the breakout session for the individual breeds. If there's certain rules that have passed in a certain organization, it's not nearly as much like a convention as it is more of a continuing education kind of environment. So there's obviously lots of talk. Anytime you get a lot of horse people together, we love to talk about <laughs> rule changes and how to make the industry better. We and, like to talk and eat. Right, exactly. So there's, there's plenty <laughs> of conversations great. that go on and in the hallway, too. but nothing formal. Okay. So since you guys are there, and I know this seminar is specifically for judges only, there's nobody, no outsiders are allowed to attend, but do you want to kind of just recap the weekend for us is like how the weekend runs and then what exactly were you think the main topics that were really hit on this year? Basically, it's a three-day seminar that two and a half really, but it covers all the things that Sandy had kind of discussed earlier. So we we covered all the overfence classes, hunter under saddle this year, covered showmanship, horsemanship, and act, a majority of the ranch classes, ranch riding, ranch trail, covered reining in great depth as well. Also covered uh, in hand trail and lunch line. So pretty good set of classes, I'd say eight or nine at least that were covered in great detail. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that we put a lot of focus and a lot of emphasis with the judges into what I would consider honing in your compass, okay? So I think we all, when we read the rule book, can have some idea or some thought process of of what we're looking for. It lists in there very clearly what attributes you're looking for in whatever discipline you're supposed to be judging. What it doesn't really do is give you a good visual representation of that because it's a book, right? It's not it's not a bunch of drawings, which is part of why we created Horse IQ in the first place. But it's also what we've done for many years in the educational world for judges surrounding these continuing education seminars. It's it's geared towards putting a lot of video up. We judge a lot of runs. We go through a lot of runs. You get to hear from experts in each field, each discipline, people that have judged it, shown it, trained it you know, uh, competed in it. That Those are really the types of things that that really bring a lot of value to the judges because anybody, uh, I'll use myself for an example, I did not grow up roping. So to get to go and listen to people that have competed a lot in all the different roping events and talk about, okay, here's what plus three in the run and rate really should look like. Here's what you really want to go after. And this is where the horse ought to be in relation to the steer. And this is how they ought to do their set and handle, and this is how they ought to face. That then gives you a really good compass to go by, and it kind of burns that standard into your mind as to what a great one looks like versus an average one versus below average. And that's really what we try to focus on in these educational seminars is to 
create that to where people have a really good feel for for what that is. Sandy, do you have anything you want to add there? I think this year, you know, we used such good videos this year. All the all of the instructors really took the time to prepare. We had the video runs of the NRHA fraternity winners this year. We had Kelly's halter seminar was just so precise and so good. And she used a clicker technology where everybody could participate on who they thought was had this fault or that fault. So that was an interesting concept this year. I think what we really want the judges to know is that the instructors put a lot of time and effort. It's just not walking up there and teaching. We spend a lot of time with Dave going over runs and discussing things because we really want to put the best foot forward for everybody. So I think that it it was a really first-class deal. We had a lot of good comments this year that it was the best color breed ever. And that's what we're always striving for. Is there any certain point of emphasis made about judging standards going forward? So like trends, scoring procedures, any of that, that we as exhibitors can kind of be aware of that you guys really hammered or, you know, emphasized this year? You know, I I think trends is always a dangerous term in in the horse industry. I I know they exist. I'm not saying they don't exist. The reason I say all this is because it's super important as an exhibitor to understand this. When we teach at judge seminars, we teach to the standards of the rule book, whether that be Western pleasure, hunter under saddle, roping, whatever. doesn't matter the the discipline. We're going to teach to whatever the standards are. When we talk about reining in particular, or as an example, it is almost always, how many times did you refer to a general, Sandy? Many, many. Yeah. That was a lot. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So a general is kind of the guiding overall principle for a reining horse. You know, they should be willingly guided, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's, it's a big paragraph. And if you mm-hmm. don't know what it is, it's well worth the time to look that up. But then we utilize things like the NRHA standards on that they have created on judging that shows what a plus one and a half set of spins looks like versus plus half, zero, minus, all that. So from an exhibitor standpoint, it's very important to understand what those standards are. And I I often would tell my non-pros, I still say this in judge seminars all the time, judges are expected to be experts in every discipline that they judge. They are. And that's why being a breed show judge is so difficult compared to single discipline judges. Mm -hmm. A exhibitor should be just as knowledgeable as that judge in whatever they are competing in. They don't have to know all the disciplines. They don't have to know all the classes. But if you're a hunter under saddle rider, if you're a pleasure rider, you ought to know and be able to recognize everything there is on the NSBA standards tape of, you know, an excellent low compared to a very good, a good, an average all the way down. And that's all of that is available to exhibitors on Horse IQ. I know they can't come to the Color Breed Council seminar because it's for judges only, but there are avenues and ways for exhibitors to be able to see all that. And I would often quiz my non-pros back when I had a training barn about different rules in Western pleasure and about what the judges are looking for and all of those kind of things, because it is so, so important because that's what the judges hear in their continuing education. That's also what they hear in their prep sessions, like at a world show before we get started. We don't go in there and talk about trends. We go in there and really focus on the standards for whatever discipline we're fixing to go judge. Now, 
all that being said, I will tell you all there's there's a great amount of conversation going on amongst judge circles and amongst the associations. We talked about it some while we were also over in Europe about putting a greater emphasis on horses expression in order to receive the highest of scores, whatever discipline that is. It's in every, if you read the rules for every single discipline, expression is talked about and it should be rewarded, a positive expression, a bright alert expression, you know, it's described multiple different ways. But that's something that we don't always talk about as much as we probably should. And it's something we're going to start talking about more and more over the next few months, years, whatever it is. And it doesn't mean that if your horse has a negative expression, you're never going to win anything. That's not what I'm saying. But in order to receive a plus one and a half, an excellent score on something or a plus three, your horse ought to look like it's enjoying its job. That ought to be part of it. So that's a direction that I think you're going to you're going to see and hear a lot more about over the course of time. I like that. Yeah, I think that's a great little tidbit for our Mm -hmm. listeners to know, you know, like there's been from the outside, of course, outside perspective. But, you know, like there's been from time to time a very heavy emphasis on where the noses are at, where the top lines are at, you know, that type of thing. And so seems like the natural progression of all of that now is maybe the expression part and Makes sense. It's one of those things that when you focus on certain areas, okay, let's say top line, and you focus on just the top line, if you don't include a conversation about expression, you're really doing a disservice because then it just becomes mechanical. It just Mm -hmm. becomes, hey, we want this level top line. If you don't have it, you're going to get marked down. So people will do anything it takes to try to maintain that level top line. And that's not what we want for the industry. That's not what we want for our horses. As horse people, we always try to push what we think is going to be competitive. So it's always a good reminder to remember that it's all in balance and should be the entire picture. Yeah. And it it should be aesthetically pleasing. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of what we talked about. And the NRHA winter meetings were going on uh, a couple of weeks ago in Fort Worth. And I was chatting with some of their members of their judges committee. We were kind of having this, this same kind of conversation. And, And we were talking about exactly that. I mean, There's lots of things on degree of difficulty that can get a horse to score really high in a particular maneuver. And I think that's what people watch and that's what they try to chase. And that's what they go after. No different than, you know, horses being able to go really slow in the pleasure. When it becomes, when it quits being aesthetically pleasing to see that horse spin or to see that pleasure horse lope down the rail, then that's where we've got to have some changes. And I think that's where expression really comes in. And I think there's there's a big push right now in a multitude of different associations to really work on that aesthetically pleasing part of horse showing that should be there. I know there's no score on a score sheet for expression by itself. So is this going to be an issue of a penalty when a horse has a bad expression or more of a reflection of your maneuver score, whether or not you do have a good, a favorable or unfavorable expression, if that makes sense. There's not going to be necessarily a penalty involved in it. It's going to be geared towards winning, towards the positive, right? If you want to get those super high scores and be excellent in what you do, then that's where the expression piece is really going to play in. And that plays into every single maneuver throughout a score sheet, plays into the overall performance in a rail class. Those are the things that that I think can really set 
a performance apart from the other ones. If you have that horse that has that bright, clear expression and, and, you know, ears that, that look alert, you know, they don't have to be pointed forward every single stride, but if they look alert and they look bright and they look like they're happy doing their job, those are the kind of horses that we want to reward. So it's going to be on the positive side more than a negative thing. And before we kind of wrap up what happened specifically at the weekend, I know trail is an event that is getting just more and more difficult. Like the the degree of difficulty, I guess is what I'm trying to say is getting like so extreme. And how do you guys as judges decide how you're going to differentiate between like some of these top horses? Is there any like chatter about like, what do we do to separate these like good ones from great ones when there's so many good ones now? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question. In any of the events, uh, and I'll come back to the trail in specifics here in just a second, but in any of the events, at the highest of levels, there is a very small number of factors that separate your top five or top six in a majority of the classes. Now, that's not the way it is in every class. And the analogy I often use is like racing. Horse showing is actually a whole lot like horse racing. Sometimes one horse comes across the finish line so far ahead of all the rest that everybody can tell who the winner is. It's clear. Sometimes six or eight will come across the finish line all at the same time, and they get a photograph to go figure out who the winner is. In horse showing, we don't get that photograph. So you'll see a variation in the placings in a multiple judge event. In a majority of the time, that's due to the level of positive and negative attributes that each one of those competitors has that day on that performance. So when you're talking about something like trail and you're saying it's, it is, it's incredibly competitive, it's very popular, lots of people compete in it, then it goes into, it's not just about getting over the logs clean anymore, right? It, it goes a lot into quality of movement. How effortless does it Look, that's one of the terms that we use in a lot of judge seminars when we talk about excellence. Excellence should look effortless in the way they do it, to where you don't see a lot of cues from the rider. It doesn't look like it's a lot of work to get that horse through that course, but the horse goes through it really effortlessly. That's one of the things that is really going to make those horses stand out in that top group. The expression, like we talked about, if a horse looks happy going through that trail course, that's a positive. That's going to get you more plus one and a half on obstacles than a horse that, you know, mechanically does everything super correct in a very high degree of difficulty because it's a really difficult course, but they don't look happy doing it. They look like a robot or a machine. That's not going to get as many plus one and a half as a horse that really looks positive as the way they go through there. So there's, there's a multitude of factors like that, but as an exhibitor, I think the idea of it being effortless is probably the best one that I would suggest of trying to get those scores really high. Yes, I think that's true in every event, whether it's showmanship, horsemanship, reigning, that expression is going to make that maneuver go from just good to excellent. I mean, I think that's a big part of that. Yeah, I said, I think that's a great soundbite. For us, that's like the the golden nugget of this whole probably conversation. <laughs> so before we move on from scoring conversation and whatnot, Sandy, do you have any additional comments about the scoring side or instruction that happened at the seminar that you want to touch on? What we really stress on every time we teach at the color breed seminar is using their words. And if they're sitting there saying something is good, 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 and they say a zero, that they need to slap themselves a little. So we really stress that they use ladder not to be afraid of their numbers that a plus three in horsemanship 
that doesn't have to be perfect. It's just excellent. And if it's excellent and you're saying plus one or plus two, you are cheating that exhibitor. So we really stressed on really using the whole ladder system, using all of their numbers. This year at the Futurity, I think we gave quite a few one and a half cent circles, a couple stops for one and a halfs. I mean, these are three-year-old horses, but they were performing to the level of such extreme quality that if if I'm saying to myself, how could that be any better? And I don't give it the full number scale on that, then I'm cheating that exhibitor. So we really stressed on not being afraid of using those numbers. And I really want those exhibitors to go look at those score sheets because that is the mirror of your whole performance is that score sheet should relate everything that happened in that pattern. That actually brings up a great point, Sandy. I'm glad you said that. So we often teach judges that the score sheet should tell the story of that exhibitor's run. That's the thought process that we really try to get across. And then from an exhibitor standpoint, you should be able to go look at your score sheet and say, oh, yeah, you know what? I, I kind of thought those turns to the right weren't very good. And sure enough, they they just zeroed me on those. But look, I plus one my second set of circles or what, whatever it is. You ought to be able to go look at that and tie. So numbers have no value unless you tie a word to it. And when you hear Sandy talk through that, and when you look on your score sheet in any of the classes, it's actually outlined usually on the score sheet. And if it's not there, it's in the rule book. But a plus one and a half maneuver score or plus three, depending on the score system we're using, always means excellent. A plus one or a plus two is always very good. And you just work down the scale. Zero is always average or correct. So when you see a zero in a maneuver box, that doesn't mean that you did poorly. It just means that the judge felt like that was an average maneuver at that time. So knowing that and knowing what those words are, are super, super important for exhibitors to be able to try to work towards increasing those throughout their runs. So coming from just an open show I worked last weekend, do you ever have your judges like give out their score sheets, not give out, but like let exhibitors see. Cause I, I know a lot of our open show series, the judges don't like sharing their score sheets, but is that something that you guys promote them to give the exhibitors? If that makes sense. We require that. Yes. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> exactly. So from an APHA standpoint by the rule book, and this rule has been around quite a while, judges are required and shows are required to post their trail, lunch line, Western riding. What was the other one? There was four of them. Anyway, there's four. Then we recommend, we highly recommend posting all the rest of the score sheets. So I think that that's something that's super, super important that exhibitors look at those. I think that kind of feedback is critical to the success of horse showing moving forward. I think it's all of us as judges have gotten very accustomed to that. That's just something in any of us that judge major events like Sandy does, you expect your score sheets to be posted and you expect them to be criticized and analyzed and people look at them for hours and hours and hours. So, yeah. I always think it's very helpful when you get to see your score sheets, obviously, for all of those things that you just mentioned. I know it goes back to the thought that it would be sure it would be nice if we could get those score sheets on real classes, which I understand is like nearly pretty much impossible to do in any organized manner. But is there anything 
on the rail classes that was talked about that may be emphasized to know about other than, of course, I'm sure the expression thing definitely applies to rail classes as well. Yeah, absolutely. The expression thing. And I know Lisa talked in great depth in Hunter Under Saddle about horses that have length of stride at the trot that are really covering some ground. Horses that are moving forward, have a forward working pace. Those kind of, of things were a lot of the pieces that, that were covered there. And, you know, if you understand the the rules to Hunter Under Saddle, It's geared towards a class to evaluate the horse's movement to later go on and go over fences. That's the gist of it. And I think that's something that can often get lost in the day to day when we're going to horse shows and we're watching horses go around. And But it's something that I promise you, we talk about at every single judge's seminar. At the same time, control, brokenness, consistency, all those things do come into play. And it's certainly something that it's a balance for judges to find that horse because you can have a really consistent performance that is more of a quote unquote Western type horse in the hunter under saddle versus some of those longer strided horses that you think, man, that thing could really do good going over a fence. But maybe it's not as good in the bridle. Maybe it's not as consistent in its pace going around uh, transitions, maybe, you know, not as smooth and as easy. So it's a balance for judges to to evaluate that. But as long as we keep pushing towards that direction, I think that's where we've got to continue to go with it versus kind of lapsing into the solid little performer that just goes around but would never get over a fence. So I'd like to get both of y'all's take on this question, but what do you feel like judges are doing a really great job in recent years? I think our judges have done a really good job on their score sheets. I, you know, when I send my exhibitors to a horse show and I don't have to be there and I can look at those score sheets, I think they've done a good job of portraying the penalties and the maneuver scores on there. I think they've done a good job of doing away with artificialness and the showmanship and horsemanship. We used to see so many of those trends that were so bad and those have all been eliminated and that's all due to the judges. So I think they've done a great job on that. I think they've done a good job on the ranch classes. They've kept the integrity of the class. That's something that has been so popular. And if we were to lose the integrity of that, those numbers would go down. So I think the judges have done a very good job on that. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, no, I I agree with everything you say for sure. I think there's been a, a real push over the last 10 year period for judges to be very knowledgeable about the standards and the rules of the classes. I know growing up, showing, competing 20, 30 years ago, you would get a lot of different opinions, so to speak, on especially in the pleasure. I mean, I grew up obviously doing the pleasure stuff, and you would really get a lot of different opinions on different things. And I think that the standards are something that a lot of the judges are focusing on more and more. Obviously, you can only judge what's brought to you. I think that's something that a lot of exhibitors need to understand. And especially when we're talking about the rail, I think it's important for people to understand just because a judge uses a certain performance first, it doesn't mean that judge thinks that that's ideal. Even at a a World Show Congress level, they just feel like that's the best one in that group of horses on that particular day. That's why it's first. I often tell people horses win in spite of their faults, not because of their faults. And 
you know, the over candid thing is a great example of that. I don't know of any judge ever that goes out there and says, I'm going to go try to find the most sideways horse I can and use it first. But yet we have this over candid thing that we're all trying to deal with and, you know, not have it be such, so such a big deal. And I think that obviously came at some point, some horse was a really good mover and probably super consistent went around on a really loose rein and was really a solid performer and and drove really deep behind and had a lot of drive and impulsion and it had more cant than than the horses that were going straight so again horses went in spite of their faults not because of them same thing with a low head or whatever it may be and I think that's where, as exhibitors, education of the standards and the rules of the class are so key versus just watching a class and saying, well, that one won and it didn't have a two-beat gate at the jog, so they must not care about the jog. That's not true at all, not even remotely true. The reason that horse won is it was probably the best performer that day in that particular group. If you want to win the most all year long under all the judges, I promise you'll do better if you have a two-beat gate at the jog versus if you don't. That reminds me of that quote I said in our podcast, Jenna. Like, your standard doesn't have to be the standard. Yeah, yeah. Show your horse to its potential under the guidance of the rule book. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's That's exactly it. I often encourage exhibitors to do that. If I do an exhibitor clinic or seminar is show your horse where you feel like it moves its best, not try to stay behind so-and-so because they won the world three times. Mm -hmm. Your horse may not be able to do that. That's okay. Your horse will still place higher across the board from show to show under 50 different judges if it's moving where your horse moves its best. So on the flip side of my last question, what do you feel or where do you feel judging can be improved and what would you like to see happen if in that regard? I think we're in this big, big deal where everyone thinks all the judges have to be the same. And I think we need to get away from that a little bit. I think we are all entitled to our opinion and what we like. And I don't think it's really bad if we have one horse first and one horse third. If that group is up there, I think it's going to give more people the option that they want to come and show i mean if the same person wins all the time and we all have to be the same they only need one judge is kind of the way i look at it i think that we're all allowed to have our opinions we have our pet peeves what we like i think as long as we stay within the rule book i don't think we need to put so much so much stress on oh yeah that judge placed that horse third and that guy had it first or that one had it fourth Sometimes there's five horses in that group that could all be the winner. It depends on what you see. And I think us judges have to stand out there and have the integrity to do what we think is right. Yeah, well said. Well said, Sandy, 100%. As far as improving judging on a on a whole, I think it's going down a really good path. I think it's improved a lot over the last 20 years. I completely agree with what Sandy says. I, I often talk about an educated opinion based on the standards of the rule book, which is exactly what Sandy's saying there. I think that's the key for judges to be able to have. I think that it's really difficult. I don't think people understand how difficult it is to try to be an expert in all the different classes that we're supposed to be experts in. Breed judges, AQHA, PHA, Appaloosa, Palomino, any of the breed judges, 
very, very difficult to be an expert in the roping, an expert in the pleasure, an expert in the halter, the showmanship, the horsemanship, the act, the over fences. I mean, it just goes on and on of what we're supposed to be experts in. So I think that, you know, continuing that knowledge, continuing that growth is something that's super challenging, but it's something that I think we want to continue to push towards and work towards and all of us become more and more experts in in what we do. I think that there are things like roping that have come a long, long way as far as educational material for judges to look at and to learn from. I think that those are things that we're going to continue to see improvement on. I think that feedback in the rail classes, like what you were asking about earlier, I think that's something that more and more exhibitors really want. I think it's something that there's a lot of conversation going on about that right now within the organizations. I don't know where that will lead because the truth of the matter is it's going to change those classes fundamentally because there is no way you can score 20 head of hunter under saddle or pleasure horses at every gate, every direction without them being in there for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean it can't happen. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it will have to have a little bit of a different look and feel for that to happen, for that kind of feedback to to come to the exhibitors, whether that be smaller cuts and smaller groups and you get a score at the end of it or whether it's some form of a performance report, you know, something that's not as precise as a score for every gate, every direction. I think there's a lot of conversation going on about that right now, and I wouldn't be surprised to see something come out probably from the NSBA standpoint over the next few years. Interesting. So on this topic of like judging being improved, I I don't know how to ask this question in regards to like in that direction, but I know Dave, in our previous podcast, we touched on the performance alteration testing. Do the judges, let's just use rail classes for an example. When the judges are, doing Western Pleasure Hunter Hunter Saddle, is there anything that you have them looking for? Or do you give any sort of educational information on looking for that sort of thing? Or is it more like just random pulls on these horses when we're doing that kind of testing? Yeah. So the testing that AQHA is doing, and I'm not fully aware of exactly how all that works, but the way I understand it, that's more of an after the fact, random type thing. From a judging standpoint, I would just tell you that's exactly where this whole talk of expression comes in, because horses that have a real artificial appearance, they're not going to have a good expression. I've not seen one yet that I was suspect of that I thought, oh, wow, that horse looks really happy, but something looks a little off there. I think the expression kind of shows and anyone that's horseman enough to see what everything that we're supposed to be looking at can get a feel for that. Those rules have been in our rule book and are currently in our all of our rule books. So that's something that judges judge on now. I think it's something that that again, we just need to talk more about of having a positive expression and a bright expression versus something artificial and robotic. Got it. That makes sense. So as we're getting to wrap up today, thank you both for your time. But last question for each of you maybe is since the International Equine Judges Seminar, not for exhibitors, but what is one maybe big takeaway exhibitors should have from that seminar, you know, going forward just from each one of you? 
I think that they should know that all the judges are out there trying to continue their education. And I think the biggest misconcept that we hear is that judge didn't like me at this horse show. It is never anything personal. We are the biggest cheerleaders for every exhibitor. I am so worn out by the end of every horse show because I have ridden every lead change, every turn. (laughs) I am sitting there and I'm a mover anyway. And I mean, I'm kicking the chair or whatever. And when something goes wrong, I just kind of deflate. And it's like it takes all my energy and goes, oh, you can almost hear the whole group of judges do that in a multi-judge deal. We are the biggest cheerleaders for every rider out there. And I think that is probably the biggest misconception that exhibitors have. Mm -hmm. And when I hear someone say, oh, that judge didn't like me, it is never that fact. It is always, let's go back and look at that performance and see what really happened. Great point. I think that's fantastic. And I agree with Sandy. I mean, it we absolutely as as a group cheer on each and every exhibitor, whether you know them, don't know them, none of that matters. It's the simple fact that we love to see a good performance. And we talk a lot about judging on the positive. That's something we talk a lot about in judges' seminars. Don't don't hunt a penalty. Let the penalties find you. And Based on that, then we're always shooting. We want to give out that plus one and a half. We want to see that excellent maneuver. We want to see that 80 kind of score come out. And that's a great feeling as a judge whenever you can have a class of really high scoring runs. That gets you pumped up. You're fired up when you get done with that and you're you're excited about that. So I think all of that is a, a good takeaway. The main takeaway I would tell exhibitors as well from from that seminar is to focus on the rules. If you don't really know the rules and the fundamentals of whatever disciplines you're competing in, dive into that rule book for whatever association you're showing with, read through them, analyze them, think about them, ask other judges, ask other trainers, exhibitors, your friends, whoever, talk about those rules because those are the exact things that we're covering in those in those seminars. And I can remember showing many, many years ago as an assistant trainer for Gill, we showed at the highest of levels in Western Pleasure all across the country every single weekend. But I had not read the rule book in probably two or three years before I went and showed at the World Show for the first time. And I remember calling my college advisor was Don Topliff. I don't know if y'all remember Don Topliff or not, but fantastic judge, judged the quarter world, I don't know how many times. And I I called Dr. Topliff and I said, hey, I'm going to show at the quarter world and I hear they judge a little different there than anywhere else. What should I be focusing on? And he got quiet for a minute and he goes, have you read the rules lately? And I sat there (laughs) and thought, no. (laughs) I haven't read the rules lately. In fact, I probably haven't read the rules since college when we had a judging contest. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So by doing that, what jumped out to me, I've been working on this horse's front leg the entire summer and all fall thinking it was all, you know, that was my hole, right? That was my my negative thing that I was trying to fix. And when I reread the pleasure rules, I didn't really talk about a flat front leg anywhere. It talked about taking the gates when they were called and a free flowing stride and a level top line. and so that's what I focused on and, and it worked out well. And I guess my point to that story is that focusing on those standards and on those rules, it's real easy to get off the beaten path when we're training every day and we're riding every day. 
But that's a great thing to do on your way to the horse show is just go over the rules one more time and say, you know what? I need to show it a little different. I need to take my gates right when they're called or whatever, you know, whatever jumps out at you that's in those rules. I promise that's going to jump out to a judge as well, because that's what they've been looking at before they got to the horse show as well. Yeah. Amazing. This has been invaluable Mm -hmm. straight from the judge's mouth, you know, basically for both (laughs) of you. So you can't beat that kind of information here. So do you guys want to provide your contact information? I know Dave, you've done it once before, but we'll let you do it again. And you know, if anybody needs to reach out to you, get a hold of you for anything with APHA, judging, training, whatever, Sandy, that's your call there. And then we'll wrap it up. You bet. So anybody can reach me at ddellen at APHA.com. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Happy to answer emails or questions or my phone number will be on the email reply. If anybody needs that, you know, they can certainly get a hold of me. But the other thing I did want to say real quick from an exhibitor standpoint, Sandy and I are actually going to be teaching together the first weekend of April in Fort Worth at the APHA office. It's called Horse Horse IQ Live. And we're going to be doing basically a judge's seminar for exhibitors. And it's open to anyone. Anybody can come to it. It's a three-day seminar, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And they are more than welcome to sign up. They can get on the APHA website and under judging. And that seminar will be listed there on the website. And I can provide that to you guys if, if you want. I can send it in an email, a direct link or something. But that's a great way for people to ask us questions, talk to us live, all that kind of stuff, and hear a full three days worth of what the judges hear in a educational seminar. That's great to know. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Sandy, you want to give any contact information for anybody or you're too busy to... Talk nope, to anybody I else. No, I, <laughs> judging is my passion. And as my husband says, no one likes to talk judging and horses more than I do. And he gets sick of hearing it. So I, I love all input. Training at gmail.com or um, on Facebook as Sandra Campbell Jerkowski. And I will answer any messages. I just love to talk horses and, ju- and judging. The other thing I would like to add is Horse IQ on the APHA website is so full of information for exhibitors. There's penalties. There's plus maneuvers, minus maneuvers. There's whole libraries of classes. I mean, it is a great place for anyone who wants to just go take a look at what the judges are thinking. That's just a good place to get on there and look. It's a great subscription program. Perfect. Thank you both for your time. Enjoy your evenings and we appreciate the information. You bet. Always great to visit with you guys. Thank you. All right, that'll be your class. Bring them in and line them up.